fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Hey everybody and welcome to episode number 30 of season 3 of the Fantasy Fullback Dive brought to you by the good people at the Roto Street Journal. I of course am your host, Nat the Truth Jones, with me as always, the wolf of Roto Street himself, and we are the team that brings you the podcast, the Fantasy Fullback Dive, that's going to pave your way to your 2018-19 Fantasy Football Champions. Consider us the lead blockers on your quest to become champion, or like if you have some other uh, cool name for champion in your league or whatever, that's what we're going to block for you to become. Uh, We will be your guide in this hectic fantasy football season, and it's starting. I had my first draft last night. Oh man, I know. Trust me, I know. You were on the phone with me the entire time, and it was fantastic. It was, it was fantastic. And the reason that I was trying to involve you so much is I had you run a mock draft for me, which I had done many times. uh, Mm -hmm. You know, because we're dealing with keepers, and so that complicates everything. And then I was the last pick in the draft. I wasn't going to get to actually pick till pick thirty six. And so I had you run a mock draft. By the way, anybody that's listening, this is something the Wolf just does. It's not just something he does for me because I'm his buddy. Uh, it's something that if you send him, hey, man, I'm picking eighth and uh, I got this keeper or whatever, he'll run a mock draft for you. And he ran one for me and he ended up kind of pushing me to go in a different direction than I would have gone. And the jury is out. We'll see how I end up doing. Uh, I drafted uh, in a way that I never draft before. We always talk about building the stable. I did not build a stable. I have a no. stable of ponies, perhaps, not racehorses. <laughs> uh, great wide receiver core, great tight ends. We're going to see what happens. I got, uh, and you, we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of philosophy on how many of your players you need to get to pop to have a chance to win and stuff. But I really appreciated the Wolf helping me out, uh, you know, via text. We definitely communicated a lot of times. And I mean, I got the bug, man. The draft was fun. I mean, it wasn't even in person, I was online. It's draft season. How would you describe like that day when you wake up on on the day of a draft? Because I haven't had one yet. But like, what would you? How would you put? If you can put it into words, what would you describe that feeling like? Well, I mean, first of all, we've been there before. Like you know, but I mean, I'm gonna sound stupid saying this. I was. It's like once it gets to be like 11 a.m., the draft was started at six. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I was just I was just killing time. It's like I yeah. just I didn't care about anything else. I was just like glancing at the clock, waiting until the draft room opened so I could get in there and stuff. It reminded me a lot of uh, a couple of times when we played for like the state title, uh, my girls basketball team in high school. It was like the day of the game or even like semifinals. I was just pacing back and forth, like kind of nervously for like four hours before the game. It was like that. I mean, it really is, you know, it's about as, as, you know, close as someone who's no longer a competitive athlete or anything can, can get to that rush. I was going to say, yeah, it reminds me of like the super, the way you were describing it, it's perfect. And it kind of reminds me almost of like the Super Bowl day. Like, let's say the Patriots are playing in it and you just sit there till six o'clock and I'm just watching Tom Brady porn for eight hours. But, and it's great. I'm not going to complain about the Tom Brady porn ever. But ultimately, it was just literally just time killer. You're right. It's one track mindset. All I'm doing is drinking and sitting and hopefully not blacking out before the draft happens. It's it's just the, it dominates your day. It's all you can do. I never drink before like nighttime and I'd had multiple beers by the time the draft yeah, started. Absolutely. I mean, at one point I was, I was just, 
I was doing yard work in the yard that didn't even really need to be done just with my Bluetooth <laughs> headphones on listening to the fantasy fullback dive. I um, love it. Yeah, I know. It was psycho behavior. But anyway, it was good. We'll get more into maybe exactly who I drafted later. I do want to talk about some we of the We should because I think it's interesting. And the philosophy, like you said, there's a lot of strategy and philosophy behind it. I think there's a lot for people to learn. And, you know, there's a whole no one cares about your fantasy team mantra around fantasy. But I think there is a lot to learn about how your team unfolded. And anybody's it's team. Gonna- be a, I agree. It's going to be a learning experience, and it'll be fun to monitor throughout the year because it goes against conventional conventional wisdom, what we did. Yeah. So anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. I do want to just say, for all of you that listen and are loyal listeners, which the numbers are growing, uh, you know, and I, I throw out, hey, this is the 30th episode of the third season. You might be confused because there have been all these other uh, episodes mm-hmm. dropping. Uh, so far, they've all been done by The Wolf because I wasn't able to coordinate my schedule. But he's been doing these great on the fantasy beat uh, you know, just one shot interviews with some great guys. Uh, we had actually, I mean, I guess I did do the one with RJ Ochoa and I did do the one with Schneier, uh, with, uh, mm-hmm. Dan Schneier of the Giants. Um, but you've actually, you just interviewed Nick Underhill, Underhill of the Saints. Um, yep. And you just had a great interview with Elliot Christ. Is that correct? Yep. So yeah, Elliot Christ would be the uh, next of the Wolf series since we already had uh, our guy Field Yates come on and kind of dump all the place. But Elliot Chris came and was just fantastic. He was incredible. We woke up early Saturday morning for us. And if you haven't heard that one, I think that one came out just before this one will be released. Uh, so if you haven't heard that one, it is an absolute gem. It's already up on YouTube. Yeah, it's already up on YouTube. I think the pod's dropping tomorrow morning and we're recording on Monday right now. So this one usually drops about Wednesday or so. Uh, so you got to make sure you hear that one. The, the way to find them all is very easy, too. You go to ffbdpod.com, and all the episodes are there. Or if you're looking for a very specific one, you can go to ffbdpod.com slash beat1 or ffbdpod.com slash wolf. I'm actually probably going to switch that to the name. So like ffbdpod.com slash achoa, ffbdpod.com slash schneier. That might be even easier than beat1, beat2, beat3, because you don't know which order it was in. Underhill. For example, ffbdpod.com slash Underhill. I'm going to change that actually after we finish recording uh, these redirects just to make it very easy to find it. Because, yeah, I'm trying to dominate both the beat scene. We have a great Vikings guy coming on tomorrow morning. Yep. Um, and then also the Wolf scene. We got Scott Barrett returning this Wednesday. I mean, we're, we're just peppering, lining up these interviews. We've gotten great feedback that, that people love them. In addition to the standalone stuff that me and you always do every week, which is also fantastic. So we're just going to pepper you. we got two more weeks till the, the drafts are all wrapped up, and we're going to give you as much as we can until then. And then obviously during the season, we'll be right there for you too. So you heard it here, folks. Prepare to be peppered uh, <laughs> the way DeAndre Hopkins is peppered with targets uh, when, when he plays with anyone except Brock Osweiler. <laughs> and even then he got targeted quite a bit. Yeah, um, just sailed over right, his head. The we're ball not going to you know, tar- We <laughs> use the word target loosely. Anyway, uh, we're going to get in real quick. Let's talk about your stock tip of the week. And this does relate a little bit to my draft, but it's also something that I would say almost anyone who's drafting uh, can use as kind of like a rule of thumb, a measuring stick, anything like that, regardless of kind of your overall draft strategy. I feel like this is kind of the umbrella that you can put over all of it. Uh, So give us your stock tip of the week. Yeah, so I was doing the, the math out. I'm not the best mathematician here, but you think about your draft. You really, most leagues, you can do the math for yourself, but most leagues it hovers around, you need to hit 50% of your picks. And then, you know, whether you have 16 picks and you have eight starters, maybe nine starters, maybe it's 15 rounds for seven because you only do two receivers or no flex, whatever it might be, it generally gets to about a 50% rules, how I look at it. And what that means is that you need 
just I'm assuming you're who, talking about position players there. You're not really talking about defense or, or kicker in that. No, respect. exactly. That's, and that's a good uh, clarification. Cause yeah, I'm streaming defense. I'm streaming kicker. I mean, maybe kicker, you have one guy in, but it doesn't matter. You can always find a kicker. You can always find a defense playing the jets or dolphins. We have right. a question about that coming up actually later. Uh, so we'll get more into that, but yeah, so I'm talking about everything other than kicker and defense. So let's say you've cut that down now to, to seven spots in you know 13 picks let's take those last two picks that's a roughly 50 to 60 percent rule so you really just have to get half and the, the way you got to approach that then is loading up and we've said this before but again put it in your mind only 50 to 60 percent of these guys have to pan out you got to give yourself as many quality stabs as you can take so whatever order that ends up being and like i know your draft we talk about building a stable yet because of your keeper situation you went in with hopkins and gronk so you already had a loaded pass catching core and so i was picking last in the and third you're picking round. last so the running backs are already depleted it's time to just depart and then and say, okay, what what am I going to hit? Jarvis Landry is going to hit in a full PPR no matter what. That guy is going to hit. And if he hits the ceiling, he's going to explode. So that's, you know, you got Hopkins is hitting. Gronk, as long as he stays healthy, is hitting. You got Landry, he's hitting. You went, what, Cooper was Amari the next? Cooper, yeah. Right? Good chance. You got John Gruden's 11 out of 11 top receivers have gone for 1,000 yards. I'll bet on that any day of the week as long as Cooper stays healthy. I think he has his best season yet. Maybe those other first, you know, three or four were more guaranteed. Seems like a really good shot to take. So we don't even have a running back yet, but you're keeping in mind, I need seven to you know eight, depending on your starters, of these to hit, whether it's the running backs, whether it's the wide receivers. And that kind of should maybe open your mind a little bit to being flexible. You want to take as many stabs as you can at those running back and receiver spots because you're starting more. But if those stabs all happen later because the, the just made more sense and you had more security in those wide receivers early, so be it. I mean, I like starting drafts. Your situation was a little different, Nat, because I like going running back, running back early. The horses early on, that stable we talk about, when you can have the, the three down, like bell cows and good offenses, if you can get two of those, I mean, it's unstoppable. That's that's my favorite strategy to start with. But your keeper situation made that difficult. And and so you you, you zigged where you might have otherwise zagged and, and you, you did it the right way. You, you hit the best shot at hitting one guy. And you, you take that balance of floor and ceiling. You got to get some of those floor guys who you know are going to hit but also some of those ceiling guys who could really explode. And, and that's really the name of the game. I like to have at least five receivers, five running backs by the end of my draft, if not more, maybe two tight ends, maybe two QBs. And then you got your other, your kicker defense, but that will give you a nice shot at hitting, you know, that 50%, regardless of where they come from. Just keep that in mind. You need 50%. And that's not even factoring waiver wire, right? Like, right. okay, say you, you missed your flex and these last three receivers and two running backs, none of them end up working out, which is insane if that happens. But if that's what happens, so be it. You're going to find someone on the waiver wire to plug it. Um, but you need those upside picks at all those receivers and running backs to ultimately launch that team. And and that's how you do it. That's how and you I do took it. a bunch. No one, no one would be excited about hearing my running back core. Like, I mean, but, but I'm going to tell you, I got six guys. The way I figure, I need two of them to pop. And mm-hmm. with, the, with the picks I got, I feel like two of these guys popping is not out of the question. So right. I got Tariq Cohen, who I actually really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got Sony Michelle and James White from New England, which obviously red flags New England backfield. But White, I figure at least it could get me some well, PPR, PPR numbers right? while I'm trying to figure it out. Yes. Yeah. Um, I got Chris Carson. I got Peyton Barber, like with my last pick. I mean, yeah. these are both like starters probably. And I got Naheem Hines. So, exactly. I mean, like, like two of these guys, 
having good running back seasons, it does not seem that far-fetched to me. I think it might take me a week or two or even three to figure out where they're coming from. I hope to go you know, win a game or two in there, not fall behind. But I feel like there's a pretty good chance I'm going to come out of this pretty good with a great receiving core and a great tight end. And also, you know, by the way, I landed Phillip Rivers in the 12th round. Uh, you know, wait on your quarterbacks, guys. Absolutely. And I think another lesson that comes out of this too is know your settings full PPR. When you have that stacked of a wide receiving core, you, the running backs you took really fit that PPR mode. James White, Naeem Hines. These are guys that can Cohen. get four or five catches every single week. And you suddenly you've got five points plus, you know, the 30, 40 yards that came there. You got seven or eight points now to go with a wide receiver core that's getting, you know, 15, 20. That's going to be enough. You Peyton Barber, you said a starter. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. Um, but yeah, you, you know, two out of those six are going to become dependable, reliable options. I, I hate looking at a team that doesn't have a stud workhorse at the top, but you just that your keeper situation made that impossible. And I think you, you took the right zigs and loaded up at the positions where the values were, and you have a good shot at hitting on at least like you said two out of those six. You're not even playing the fifty percent game; you got like the thirty-three percent game, and I think you really set that up pretty well. Well, I appreciate it. And you helped me in the process. And, and we're going to definitely update people as we go along the season uh, how it's going. Because like I said, this is not the strategy that the RSJ would generally endorse. Right. Um, except that we endorse, you know, you, you got to do the best with what you got with the hand you're dealt. So hopefully mm-hmm. I did. And, and we'll keep you guys, um, you know, updated as to how it's going. So that's the stock tip. We're going to be right back. We got a pretty good stock watch ahead of us. Josh Gordon, Adrian Peterson, etc. Right after this. It's time for the stock watch. We are back. And of course, what stock watch would be complete? What stock watch would be a respectable (laughs) stock watch without leading off with Josh Gordon? So go ahead. And Josh Gordon, Browns, this is how I started my article with it. Browns, fantasy, and general football fans rejoice Josh Gordon is back. And it's the truth. I mean, this was one of the most glaring fantasy football questions, most burning questions, as we call it on the podcast, just a few episodes of the the remaining offseason. And now he's back. It doesn't mean he's fully back quite yet. There's still some hurdles he has to clear with the substance abuse program, which obviously feels a little sketchy. Hugh Jackson's kind of come out and said, uh, you know, he might be ready for week one with us. We're not just going to let him go right in. But ultimately, the path is there. If Josh Gordon is healthy, he clears these hurdles in the substance abuse program, which it sounds like everything. Why would he come back if he wasn't? Did he have a relapse? And I don't think it was a relapse. This, uh, this seems really weird then. If he, I mean, like, what, what hurdles is he having to clear for the substance abuse program? I thought he was good to go, and then he just all of a sudden disappeared. And it's Definitely. like, I know that the, that the stated thing was, yeah, yeah, he's doing this, like, you know, as a proactive thing. It was already planned out. By the way, I don't believe for a second it was all, it was completely planned out by right. the team beforehand. No chance. Um, right. I mean, don't you think he went on a bender or something? I don't know if he went on a bender or thought he was about to go on a bender. Maybe. That's, I think that's more what it is. Because if he went on a bender, then he, you know, he would be, it'd be all in the headlines. At but this maybe point. it was just like alcohol or something like that. I don't know. I mean, maybe it, maybe it didn't entail a failed test of any kind. I don't know, man. Something's going on. Something is fishy. It feels weird. And that's why it's, if you're drafting, it is still definitely a risk until we know he's on the field to, to go after Gordon. But ultimately, with that risk baked into his price, he's still falling now to round five or so. The upside at that point might just be worth it. I've seen a lot of people say, now's your chance to sell Gordon. Ha ha. 
I'm buying them. If you're selling them, I'm going to go all in. This is the guy. The upside is just completely limitless. It's the guy who led the league in receiving yards. Yes, I know a very long time ago, but that was with the seventh worst quarterback rating throwing in the ball. Now he gets Tyrod Taylor, clearly the best quarterback that he's ever played with, the best play caller by far with Todd Haley calling the plays, very vertical, deep offense that when you got a glider like at a 6'3", you know, 220-pound Gordon that could dominate every level of the field, Haley's going to make magic with this guy. So the upside is, I mean, legitimately fantasy's top receiver. That is actually his ceiling, which is crazy to think you could get in round five. So, I mean, you got that. You got Tyrod Taylor's value would skyrocket when you're throwing to Josh Gordon and Landry, which we already had Tyrod Taylor very high. I don't think Landry's value even takes that big of a hit because they play different layers of the field. I think it opens up the, the underneath routes where Landry's just so dominant. I think both guys would really have a chance. We have an article on the site about this. Both guys would top 1,000 yards, I feel like, if Landry's there. I mean, if Gordon's there healthy, ready to go. A risk now, yes, because we still don't know if and when he's going to get onto the field. But if it's a fifth round price tag, that upside is very hard for me to pass up on. And just for a frame of reference, last night in uh, my draft, I believe he went early fifth round. Yeah. So it's the right spot for it. I mean, you're not going to – I had some guys text me, do I take him over – do I take Gordon over Landry now? No, because Landry's ceiling is almost as high, and the floor is just so much higher. It's ridiculous. But Gordon – such an enormous in round five unless Deshaun Watson falls there's nobody that offers true cheat code status in, in my opinion other than Josh Gordon fair enough Adrian Peterson back from the dead um beating out you know fellow dead running back Jamal Charles for the spot uh evidently <laughs> with the uh, Washington professional football team uh, the Redskins signed running back Adrian Peterson formerly of the Cardinals I love how he's formerly of the Cardinals now like, like as right? if we're like, oh yeah, Adrian Peterson, Cardinal, Cardinal for life. He's a freaking former Viking, everybody. Uh, and they signed him to a one-year contract. What are you hearing? Uh, you know, the ascension of the depth chart shouldn't be that hard when it's Fat Rob Kelly in front of you, or it's, you know, Samaj P. Ryan. Like, none of these guys. Chris should, Thompson. Yeah, Chris Thompson. And that's the different, you know, versatile back. He's kind of more the third down role. Yeah, but he's hurt so, too. And he's hurt, right? So, like, you know, you have a less than healthy Chris Carson. So, there's just. Chris Thompson. Uh, Chris Thompson, I mean, sorry. It's uh, quite alright. There's not much for AP to contend with here, even if he was an absolute corpse last time we saw him. I know he had a couple big games with the Cardinals, but it was some of the most yeah. inefficient games you could possibly watch. Yeah, like he 105 look- carries for like 124 yards. Exactly. Like yeah, that. it's just something disgusting. <laughs> so, I mean, the guy's just not. He didn't look good as a talent. The Redskins, I, st- I don't think this moves the needle much and changes their offensive philosophy by any means. They do have a great line, the 12th-ranked line by Pro Football Focus, with room to grow because a lot of healthy guys are now return- or guys are returning to health that were huge starters for them. So, I mean, he's going to be playing behind a better line than the Cardinals had. But I just don't know how much AP offers at this point. I don't think he's that explosive. I'm not that excited. Maybe I'll take a last-round People stat. are going to jump on People are going to go out and draft him. Yeah, because I mean, he's going to be a starting running back in an offense that should be pretty good behind a pretty good offensive line. That all sounds good, but if the talent is just that low, and it, you know, Fat Rob will stay involved and Samaj, like, it's just a gross situation. I'm just attacking the pass catching core there. I still think they remain very pass heavy. John Gr- Jay Gruden's always been very pass heavy, and this offense isn't going to change because of AP. So I, I'm not buying it. Yeah, you, you convinced me to take a flyer on Jamison Crowder, who was around in like the. I want to say like 10th or 11th round last Pete night. Charlie, that's a steal. That's just ridiculous. Well, I got him. He's my fifth best receiver. So I think that's fantastic. 
That's awesome. Um, all right, this is a good one. Peyton Barber, speaking of guys I drafted, Peyton Barber's grip on the starting role only strengthening. When asked if Peyton Barber has played like a starter this summer, Buccaneers coach Dirk Cutter said, and this is a direct quote, yes. <laughs> Take it, Wolf. I love I love that direct quote. Said yes. Uh, but it's, it's been very true. The usage and the, the play both validate it. Barber's been on the field for 25 of 34 snaps now with the first team offense. That's 73.5%. And he's been consistently churning four yards, five yards, 12 yards, 19 yards, involved in the passing game, seeing two targets last week. This guy has been clearly the most productive back, clearly the highest used back, whereas meanwhile, Ronald Jones has only been in three of 34 first-team snaps, 8.8% compared to the 73.5. He's had more carries, 12, than yards, 11, and he's dropped the only two targets he's received. I don't see how this is even a question at this point. I know Ronald Jones was a high you know, second-round draft pick, comes out with a lot of talent, but he's shown nothing on the field. He hasn't been on the field when it matters most. Maybe midseason something flips, but if Barber keeps playing this way, he's got the endorsement of his coach. He's clearly seen the most time. The coach went on to say he's doing everything he should be doing right now, and I think if we went out there and gave it to Peyton 20 times, we'd like what he does. Barber already came out and said, I'm an every down back. And I think, you know, yes, I like Jones. He could maybe make a one-two punch with me, but I want every carry. And so the coach is suggesting 20 touches a game. This guy's falling to pick 180 right now, despite being the clear-cut starter, whereas Jones goes almost 80 picks above him. Blows my mind. This guy is a complete steal. Even if he gets into, you know, that early hundreds, 100 round range, this is a clear starter. It's a clear starter, and he's playing well. It's a steal to me that he goes, you got him in 15, you said, right? We got him in the 14th round. Ridiculous. So it's Barber's job, and, and he should be drafted as such, and Ronald Jones needs to go down boards significantly. Ronald Jones was, you know how ESPN will, like, or Yahoo or whatever, they have their rankings, and they'll yeah. have best available player like according to their rankings. He mm-hmm. was, he was uh, the top guy on the best available thing for like many rounds. Like yeah, there's always know. guys like that. That's always interesting right. to note too. I'm glad you said that. Like, there's always guys that just like nobody wants. Yeah. People recognize this guy. He, nobody wants. He's he was. There were a couple of them. I can't remember the other ones off the top of my head, but he was definitely like he was sitting atop that list for like two rounds or more. Disgusting. Maybe, maybe even three rounds. Ugh. All right, let's talk a little bit about Ben Watson, and then we'll wrap up the stock watch. Joel Erickson of the New Orleans Advocate says that Saints tight end Ben Watson looks like he's still in the quote prime of his career. End quote. And this is uh, a good one because this ties into the interview that you just did with your buddy, Nick Underhill. So go ahead. Uh, yeah, Underhill was raving about him. I asked about Ben Watson, not really expecting much. I mean, this guy's 37 years old playing tight end in the NFL. That's one of the most hit positions in the league. And this guy apparently looks, quote, I like this quote. I was hoping you'd catch this one. Uh, where is it? An Under Armour mannequin. Is yeah, Mark cool? Ingram said that. And Mark Ingram's on steroids, keep in mind. Exactly. And he's <laughs> saying people look like Under Armour mannequins. Exactly. Like coming from like a juiced out of his mind running back. That is like some high praise. Absolutely. And Underhill on, on the interview, if you want to check it out, ffbdpod.com slash Underhill. I've decided to change that again to the way I'm going to label those. 
said when he came on, it's been very clear and cut that Ben Watson is the best tight end here. Nobody's even come close to him. I think the Saints wanted, according to Underhill, that somebody to take over that role, a young guy to show it, and Watson just kind of be that veteran, you know, mentor type of figure. But he said nobody stepped up, and Watson, meanwhile, has just dazzled and made catches all over the place, looks young. This is a guy that only a couple seasons ago was with the Saints, had over 800 yards and six touchdowns, and was a very popular target by Breeze. We know that they is Underhill made clear this is a great interview. Make sure you listen to this one. There's always a role for a dependable tight end in this offense, uh, especially one that has a history with Breeze. And it sounds like, quote, according to this one, Erickson, also for the New Orleans advocate with Underhill, says he made eye-popping, contested catches, a normal occurrence this summer, looking nothing like a 37-year-old. So, I mean, this guy goes largely undrafted and has humongous upside in this offense, especially the established chemistry. Uh, I think he needs to be much, much clearer on fantasy radars, especially if you're waiting a tight end. All right, that's going to do it for the stock watch. Uh, if you like risers, if you like fallers, if you like penny stocks, you're going to love what we have to say about what happened. This second week of preseason, so much happens. The Wolf has changed his opinion on some guys significantly, which, by the way, we'll talk about this after the break. Preseason week two, risers, fallers, penny stocks, right after this. back preseason week two risers fallers penny stocks and as i was about to say before the break one of the reasons there's a few reasons but one of the reasons i really swear by the wolf as in my opinion the top of this industry and i know like that that might sound ridiculous because there's so many much more well-known guys out there but the people that i know and i mean i'll include myself in this but the people that i know that are aware of the wolf and listen to the wolf on the pod and uh, read his huge draft guide and market guide and all that stuff. They swear by him. I mean, they're just like, wow, this guy's like way better than anybody at ESPN or anything like that. I feel the same way. One of the reasons I is that, like, well, I, I mean it, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. Like he, mm-hmm. he takes a stand on guys and then he'll change his mind and he'll be like, yeah, I changed my mind. No one does that. People like dig their heels in. Well, first of all, like sometimes they'll they like you say, "Hey, give me your top guy." They'll give you twelve. I'm not mm. going to name any names. Uh, but th- but then the other. But then also, like if if they're wrong, if they see there's evidence in their face saying, you know, like, "Hey, maybe this guy that I didn't think was going to be all that like is busting out, and it appears he's going to be like the like you know focal part of this offense." They don't like really change their mind. And the Wolf is a big mind changer and he owns it when he does. And there's a couple examples of this in here uh, that we're going to hit right away in our risers headlines. Um, the two changes of hearts. Why don't you why don't you take those away? Because I, I know you're going to shout at least one guy that I know out. Uh, and yeah, I do have to give him a shout out because he's been calling me wrong on this been ripping me apart for Christian McCaffrey. I thought the one point that he made that I want to make sure before I go into Christian specifically, there has to be the good hard evidence and not just like one, you know, random meaningless play or coach speak puff to make me change a complete 180 on a guy. Um, and there's a couple here that I'm having a complete 180 on because there are some people too, like you said, they'll, they'll be too stubborn, dig their heels in or the people that see one little thing and suddenly they're just exploding and, and destroying their rankings. You got to trust your gut and know what you, you were feeling about a guy or your, your ranking stock formula, what we use to rank our guys and trust, you know, how you graded people out. 
But then when you got to make the adjustments to that stock formula because the evidence is telling you something's wrong, you got to make those adjustments or else you're just foolish and you're you're missing key points of evidence like you said. And Christian McCaffrey's a guy that I was clearly wrong and your boy Will was telling me about that I was clearly wrong and, and now I, I buy it. Because it was the usage. I'm talking about the fantasy stock formula. The usage I did not expect. I thought his targets were going to go down because, you know, Greg Olson, when he played, his, McCaffrey's targets were all the way down to five instead of seven and all these, you know, metrics from last year. Plus, you got C.J. Anderson, a better Jonathan Stewart is coming in. So why would he get more volume in the rushing game? Christian McCaffrey, if this guy CJ Anderson is better than Jonathan Stewart, it's going to be the same situation, if not a little less. That was my thinking, right? But through two weeks of a preseason, I've been proved completely wrong, and I have to take a 180 or else I'm an idiot. Because I, and when I love a talent, you know, his talent's always graded high. Yeah, you've never denied his talent. That's, you know, that's easy for me to make the switch. If it's usage, because I I didn't recognize the usage was going to be as high as it is, that's an easy switch for me, especially when I believe in the talent. And this is a guy I've always loved. I loved him last year when he was cheap. And now I'm loving him even if he's a little more expensive. I was saying he was a he was in our preseason kickoff guide listed as one of the most overpriced running backs in fantasy football. That's why you got to make sure you get the updated guide when it comes out in a week after the week three of the preseason because McCaffrey is no longer overpriced. He's maybe even a little underpriced. He's up to 15 on my big board, ADP 18. So he's almost a, a French first rounder at this point. You look at last week, the usage was insane. So the first week we get a goal line carry. He executes at the two yard line. Oh man, maybe this guy's getting goal line work. Last week, the starting offense was in for five drives. McCaffrey was the only running back to touch the field. They ran 16 plays over those five drives. Three of them were broken plays. It means, you know, Newton got sacked twice, fumbled once, so the play didn't get off at all. We got 13 plays that got off. On those 13 plays, McCaffrey either touched the ball or was targeted 10 times. 10 out of 13, 77% usage rate for this guy. And it was successful. And it wasn't just like, you know, they were going to him a lot. It was like, they're going to him a lot with huge success. So it's like, it's not like something that they're going to then like go away from in the regular season. Exactly. When you talk about huge success, I mean, humongous success in terms of a 71 yard second. He was in on second and one. Gets a blast up the gut. Not a typical McCaffrey carry. Rips it right through the knife through the defense and then bounces to the outside and outruns everybody for a 71 yard score. I mean, that is ridiculous. He one would never have seen that carry last year. But Norv Turner said this guy's realistic to expect 25 to 30 touches out of Christian McCaffrey this year. And I remember me and you were like laughing and just like realistic. Uh, no, not at all. Maybe it is. At this point, he had he was on pace for like 50 touches uh, in this preseason game. I mean, Coach uh, Rob Chubb, uh, no, not Rob Chubb, um, Ron Rivera said it's ideal that he gets 25 to 30 touches. So, I mean, the team clearly is going to feature him. The passing game, he was dominant again. Uh, everything about it is just suggesting – Three-down workhorse, even if he's not that prototypical build. We saw Norv Turner build a similar uh, an offense similar around uh, LaDainian Tomlinson, who has maybe 10 pounds on McCaffrey, but was the same type of height, same type of style, same build. We know what LT did for so many years under Norv Turner. He's not afraid to build a workhorse out of a smaller frame back. It seems like McCaffrey's going to be that next one, and you cannot ignore these signs at this point. I apologize for being wrong earlier. Hopefully, if you were listening then. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't have to apologize again later. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, he doesn't bomb, and then we have to apologize again. But guess what? We will if we're wrong again. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and in the last point on that, Anderson didn't touch the field until like the middle of the second quarter. He looked pretty good. And he and the great part, this is the great point about McCaffrey, too. The last one I'm going to make is if he goes down, 
Anderson operated like a true workhorse in the second and third quarters. You got yourself a, a 14th round handcuff. And Anderson would be a, a decent RB2 in this role if if McCaffrey goes down. That's a nice insurance policy that not a lot of running backs come with. So you got a true work down, you know, every down horse. He moved above Dalvin Cook in my, in my rankings, and that's crazy because I love Cook. I, I'm all in on McCaffrey now. Complete turnaround. All right. Uh, we got a bunch more riser headlines. I'm going to time you for a minute. I know. I had to go long on McCaffrey. No, no, no. That's fine. I didn't cut you off because I thought that that's the big one. That's I mean, that's the, like, and that's you know, I mean, we, we, you were below the ECR substantially for a while yeah. there, which, you know, got my buddy Will, uh, Willie uh, irate. But uh, I mean, now you're actually like above them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that that's a that's a big change. It's worth talking about. I don't usually right, do I mean, that. I don't. I know you don't. But I mean, you know, when when it happens, it happens. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't I don't usually start a draft wide receiver, tight end, wide receiver, right. wide receiver. <laughs> but it happened just yesterday. All right. Uh, I'm going to keep you to a minute for each one of these. I'm going to shoot the headline at you. I want you to just give me your take real quick and uh, what implications you think are attached to it. Number two on our headline list, Jimmy Graham and Aaron Rodgers brewing chemistry and creating monumental monumental touchdown upside. Go ahead. And this was just one play, one quick screen. Jimmy Graham, eight yards slant to the end zone. Rogers bought a little time, looked over, saw his six, seven monster. And that's what you're looking for here. Rogers can buy time, put the ball where he wants it. He's got a six, seven beast that knows how to use that frame in the red zone, led the league in red zone targets last year and could do it again with the Packers. And the one quote I loved was Rogers said, he's worked like Jordy in that way that he sees the game through my eyes, knows where I want to put the ball. And because of that, he's going to get the ball a lot. And he also said, this guy can also work the middle the field not just a red zone threat he hasn't been used that way the last couple of years but we ter- certainly will use this we haven't had a mismatched weapon like this in quite some time so I, I really like his upside right now with Aaron Rodgers all right Bears tight end Trey Burton filling Nagy's Kelsey role to perfection rising fantasy floor go ahead Oh, man, I absolutely love Trey Burton. Catches four of five balls, um, including a score for 46 yards, and just seems like the absolute target hog in this offense. He's led the the Bears in Mitch Trubisky's uh, targets this so far this offseason, and he's been you know athletic freak. Led the combine in 40 and jumps and cones, agility, all that good stuff. And his uh, combine in 2014, 6'3", just physical freak. Nagy said the first position I went after was that move tight end and he he targeted Burton. That was his number one choice. Went out and got him. And he's already said he's pegged for that Kelsey role that came with 122 targets last year. Very high target thing. We've seen the high targets already this preseason at a position with so much uncertainty. Yeah, maybe Shaheen will vulture a touchdown or two, but at such an uncertain position, Burton goes in round 9-10. No other tight end in that range has such a high floor as Trey Burton, plus a very high ceiling with this type of usage. All right, let's talk about some deep love. And I got a comment to make on this before you even get into it. Patrick Mahomes. We should just call him the Rotor Street Journal's Patrick Mahomes. Ropes a 69-yard touchdown bomb to Tyreek Hill. Uh, Their report obviously growing. And just as an aside, uh, our buddy CJ, the salt man, uh, put up a YouTube video of Mahomes throwing this bomb to Tyreek Hill. (laughs) It got like 35,000 hits in like a day and a half. Yeah, so good job, uh, CJ. But Mahomes, man, we seem to be the go-to media outlet for all news Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) I'd love to get him on the show. Anyway, talk to us about him. Yeah, it's it's between Mahomes and Tyreek, too. Both of them got nice bumps up after this play. We knew it was going to happen. We knew Mahomes could buy time and just flick the risk and it travels. But, man, that thing was beautiful. The long 
longest passing, uh, longer than any air yards of last year, the 69-yard bomb. There, nobody had a completion go that long. And it's only week two of the preseason. Mahomes has already achieved that. We knew he had the cannon arm. We knew he, him and Hill would make some magic. And it's just great to see it. But what I really love is that T- Tyree Kills operate as the true number one wide receiver, whereas Sammy Watkins has been completely forgotten. Hill's tied with Travis Kelsey with six targets apiece uh, out of Mahomes' 18 targets, whereas Watkins doesn't have a single reception yet. Um, and so it's that distance that Hill's creating between him and, and Watkins, as well as the just deep bomb that I saw that I, has me back. I mean, I already was all in on Tyree Kill, but he's back into my second round, back to my like must-have type of players. And Mahomes, you already knew he's my must-have. It was just great to see why. Oh, I know. By the way, somebody reached on Mahomes in our, our draft. I want to say jumped up and took Mahomes uh, sixth or seventh round, fourth quarterback off the board, I think. Yeah. And why don't we yeah, just do, I, mean, I know we got we have Joe coming on shortly, so let's do one more. We'll do this Goodwin one, talk about a couple fallers and right. penny stocks. But if, if we do all 10 of them, we'll never make it through. And that, if you, if you want to see the rest of them, make sure you visit rotostreetjournal.com slash stockwatch. I have a few more to add to the night. Uh, as the night's going through, maybe you can rifle right. through the headlines, and I'll I'll jump in the Goodwin. All right, I mean, let me just shoot the the rest of the risers headline. 49ers wide receiver Marquise Goodwin continues flashing target hog upside. Ideal fantasy wide receiver three. Uh, we got the Browns. Carlos Hyde steamrolls the Bills. Well, join the club as clear cut number one running back on the team. <laughs> Emmanuel Sanders dominating the slot work and Case Keenum's targets. Chris Hogan flashing target hog upside inside explosive Patriot scheme. By the way, somebody grabbed Chris Hogan. I want to say early fourth round in my draft. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster scores in back to back weeks. Monster season brewing. Uh, if so, we said it first, um, or you said it first. Uh, let's talk fallers real quick. Absolutely. Rex Rex Burkhead dealing with a slight knee tear. Fantasy risk is growing. He was available. I could have taken him at one point, and I just and you know it's funny. I took two other Patriots running backs uh, much later. But uh, if not for this knee thing, I probably would have taken Burkhead, even though I've given you hell uh, for your <laughs> Burkhead love affair for like over a year now. Um, Ronald Jones, the aforementioned Ronald Jones, continues to fall behind Peyton Barber and sucking. <laughs> it says right there on the paper and sucking. Sammy Watkins and Adam Thielen sliding down their respective target totem poles. Why don't you talk about that one? Yeah, so we mentioned Sammy Watkins hasn't received a single catch so far, and Thielen's in the same boat. He had three looks coming uh, on against the Jaguars, and granted, it's the Jaguars' D. They're very good. But him and Cousins just were completely off the same page in, on both those. The looks sailed over his head or, or hit him near the feet. Just didn't look like they knew where the, the – Cousins didn't look like he knew where Thielen was supposed to go. So I, I hate the fact that he's brewing such great chemistry with Diggs, but then completely on the opposite page – with Adam Thielen. So this is a guy that made money with Keenum, but we just talked about Sanders, uh, that headline you read. Keenum loved this slot guy, just peppered Thielen over and over and over, which is where he plays. Cousins is not necessarily just going to pepper one guy like that, especially if he's not making plays and not on the same page. I don't like what I'm seeing out of Thielen. He's not falling off my board or anything like that, but I'm just going to go Amari Cooper or these other guys that go in the same range above him. And then Burkhead, you mentioned the knee tear. Definitely scary for a guy that missed six games last year and and is a smaller guy, even if he has those goal line touches. If that costs him the goal line role because they don't want him getting that, that high contact and maybe Jeremy Hill comes in, that would crush his value. But there's also the reports he's back in practice the last two days that the Patriots are just resting because they think he could be a true star in this offense. So, I mean, it's kind of going both ways here. It's just humongous risk to go with a potential humongous reward at this point. 
All right, we're going to rattle off the penny stocks really fast uh, just just to kind of get the names out there so you guys can hear them. Check us out on the website if you want to know more. But uh, Roto Joe is ready to go on for tear jerkers, uh, so we don't want to keep him waiting too long. We've already kept him waiting for a little while. Penny stocks. Forgotten James White presents enormous fantasy football penny stock value. Guess who drafted him? This guy. Uh, number two, Taiwan <laughs> Taiwan Taylor. A perfect fit in Matt LaFleur's screen-heavy attack fantasy stock uh, fantasy penny stock perfection. Wow. I praise James Washington brings incredible explosiveness to the Steelers juggernaut attack. Okay. And number four, my buddy, uh, Willie, who called you out on the McCaffrey thing, drafted this guy Falcons rookie wide receiver, Calvin Ridley involved early and often as emerging penny stock as well. So James white, Taewon Taylor, uh, James Washington, Calvin Ridley. Those are all guys that you could maybe take a stab at in some of the later rounds. If the opportunity presents itself, we are actually about to do tear jerkers once again with Roto Joe, and we're hitting the tight ends after the big three. Do you mind so if I do James relevant. White real quick? Just real quick. I don't mind. Give me a minute. I don't mind. Hell, you can do all of them if you G- want. Give Go me ahead. a minute on James White, just because nobody's talking about this. Roto World didn't even post a blurb on him. Nobody's recognizing that James White just absolutely dominated on Thursday. He was the clear top uh, running back. Yes, we know Burkhead didn't play, who's going to have a big role here. But White played 26 of Brady's 39 snaps, touched the ball. Uh, you know, t- um, how many? We got six receptions, four carries, so 10 touches. Touchdown. 91 right? yards and a touchdown. Uh, I mean, the guy was dominant. We got Edelman out of the offense for the first four weeks. A very, you know, clear gaping hole here in terms of the targets especially in terms of reliable over-the-field middle targets, White's going to have a huge role early on those first four weeks and maybe maintain that throughout the whole season. This is a guy that's done some huge damage, was completely efficient last year, just didn't really see a lot of uh, volume, but was the RB19 in points per opportunity. So I see a ton more opportunity, especially in those first four weeks. So if you draft Edelman, maybe you draft White and kind of throw him in the flex for those first four weeks, and then maybe he's a, a dependable RB2 the rest of the year. Just I don't know how this guy, is going under the radar after such a monster performance. I got him late. Yeah. I got him late. I want to say round nine, something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we're going to be right back after this. We're going to bring Roto Joe back to the show. We're going to talk about the tight ends after the big three for tear jerkers, our favorite recurring segment right now on the fantasy fullback dive right after this. All right, we are back with the third installment of Tear Jerkers. So if you're ready to jerk a few tears, and I know you are because you've hung around this long, uh, this is the segment for you. This is the show for you. We Welcome Roto Joe back to the show. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Um, my Colts kick off here in about eight minutes, so I'm pretty happy. Ooh. Oh, no wonder like you're rearing and ready to go. Like You got a big Colts preseason game coming on. I mean, this is the type of thing you like. Let me ask you this, Joe, because just since we're on the topic of like, you know, counting down to a big event. Uh, have you had a fantasy draft yet this year? Not a real one. I've done countless mocks, oh, but sure, sure. all of my real drafts are scheduled around Labor Day weekend. Do you, the day of your draft, just kind of like pace around like for like the hours before the draft, just killing time, just, uh, you know, a, a ball of nerves? Like I have those... sympathy for all those around me. <laughs> yeah I, I just know i can't be pleasant to anyone around me because it's all i'm really thinking about all day yeah, especially well, on you know hall weekend i'm usually around family and i'm just like yeah 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 yeah. who should i take in the fifth round and they're like what I know, like, <laughs> I, like, like i was like snapping at my children and stuff 
Anyway, um, all right, we're going to get right into it. We're going to rank the tight ends. You guys are going to do your list. we got six guys, and we're not talking about the top three, obviously Gronk, Kelsey, and Ertz. Uh, we're talking about the next six guys. This is significant because there is a legitimate drop-off after those top three. Pretty much everyone agrees. But there's some there's some big possible production with some of these guys. So I'm actually really interested to see how you guys end up ranking these dudes. Uh, we're going to start with Joe. We're going to see who's at the top of his list. But I'm going to tell you the candidates, uh, the nominees for the tight end number four spot, I guess you would say, overall. Uh, this is Evan Ingram of the Giants. Jimmy Graham, newly of the Packers. Kyle Rudolph, who seems like he's been in the league for like 12 years, um, but really hasn't, I don't think. He's uh, for the Vikings, obviously. Greg Olson, who used to be kind of the consensus number three guy for Carolina. Delaney Walker of the Titans. And shocker special, and this is in capital letters, Trey Burton, who we alluded to early in the podcast, uh, who, in the Wolves' opinion, has joined this group, this tier, just this week. So, Joe, who would you put at the top of this list and why? I think the top of the list, for me at least, is pretty clear. I have Evan Ingram. Uh, he was tied in five last year as a rookie. Uh, I understand there's a lot of factors with that. You know, Odell Beckham was out. Shepard was out. Marshall was out. He's pretty much just a cyclone with all the targets gravitating towards him. But tied in five last year, he's a freak talent. You don't have tight ends running 4-4, 140s, 36-inch verticals. So mm-hmm. I think he has the potential to finish as the number one tight end in fantasy. I don't think that'll happen, but it's an option. Um, it was the most pass-heavy offense in the league last year, and they draft Saquon number two overall, which has you thinking they could be a little more run-heavy. But being the pass-leading offense doesn't really help them when you're ranking 21st in yards, 19th in passing yards when you throw the most passes. Um, they were 10th in plays run, so... I think it's going to be a much more efficient offense. They're going to score a lot more, and I think Evan Ingram um, is going to repeat what he did last year, if not build on it. Okay, Wolf, give me your top two guys. Do you agree with Joe that Ingram's the top of this group? I do. I actually have Evan Ingram just up there as well. Uh, but I have Jimmy Graham neck and neck with him. I literally ranked really? him 48, 49. Um, it, the, and those two, I, I think, are a tier above those other names you rallied off. I have a, a tier by themselves. Um, Evan Ingram, Jimmy Graham, and I just think, like uh, Joe said, those are the only two I could see exploding and, and potentially scoring as the top or top two tight end and, and threatening Kelsey and Ertz and, and even Gronk if he got hurt type of situation. Everything Joe said about Ingram, I have him at four. Um, it is very true. The athletic freakishness, the efficiency, hopefully uh, going up, more scoring chances because the offense is better as a whole. We talked to Dan Schneier. If you want to hear it, ffbdpod.com. Uh, Slash Schneier. That's a hard one to spell. Or so B2. Maybe I don't know which B2. one. B2. Yeah, we'll see which way we go with that one. That's a tough one. But that was one of the best interviews we've ever had. He went into yeah, he was great awesome. detail about the practice usage. And he was talking about how Ingram's going in the backfield and motioning out to the, the X receiver spot and streaking down the field on vertical routes and being used so creatively. So even if he doesn't see that uh, second most 112 targets for the tight end position, again, because Odell's back and Saquon's there and all that stuff, the efficiency and quality increase makes him just a humongous bargain where he's going at around 60 or so and a a real threat like joe said to potentially enter that top three scoring tight end but jimmy graham is right on his heels not nearly the talent at this point but i think in a better situation maybe the second target behind only Devontae adams there in green bay 
Um, and building, obviously, instead of Eli Manning, you got Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Talk about a humongous quarterback surrounding talent upgrade for Jimmy Graham there. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, Nat. Aaron Rodgers can buy time in the pocket as well as anybody. Jimmy Graham is six seven, knows how to use that body as well as anybody in the red zone. Aaron Rodgers can put the ball wherever he wants it. That's humongous touchdown upside, and I don't think it's going to be just a touchdown or bust like he was with Seattle. Again, Rodgers saying that we love how he moves over the middle of the field. We haven't had a mismatch nightmare like this in forever. We're going to fully use this guy. He's like Jordy Nelson in the sense of the way he builds chemistry with me and likes to see how I like the things run and and sees the court the game through my eyes. And he said. The guys that do that are guys that get the ball a lot. So I really expect Jimmy Graham to have a lot more upside than what everyone expects, which is just touchdown or bust type of upside. I don't see it with Jimmy Graham this year. He could really explode. He used to be so great with the Saints. I thought he was. I, I thought he was better than Gronk. Uh, he was for, right there for a with year him, yeah. or two. I mean, it's certainly around the same. I mean, he was just such a mismatch for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, how about it, Joe? Do you agree that Jimmy Graham second? Who are your number two and three guys on your list? Not at all. I have a Kyle <laughs> Rudolph number two. I'm with you, um, Joe. I don't. Need, I don't buy into this either. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll get to that a little later when I. I just, I <laughs> but uh, number two, I have Kyle Rudolph. He's been a top ten tight end the past two years. Tight end eight last year. Tight end two the year before. All right. Uh, last year he had the eleventh most targets. So it's not like he's just a target hog. Cousins is the best quarterback of his career. And over the past three years since Cousins has taken over as a full-time starter, uh, he's averaged 138 targets thrown to his tight end. So he loves to pepper the tight end. Uh, For reference, Kelsey led the league with 122 last year. I know all of his tight end throws aren't going to go to Rudolph, but he's going to get a lot of passes thrown his way because even offensive coordinator uh, DeFilippo, the last two years with Philly and the year before with Cleveland, Philly was second last year in tight end targets, first the year before, and then even Cleveland was seventh, and he made Gary Barnage a wonderful tight end to own. Mm-hmm. Rudolph, like you were saying, he's been in the league forever. This is his eighth season. He's still only 28 years old. Right. So I think Rudolph is being slept on big time uh, this year. He's personally my tight end target going into the season. Um, and then third, I have Greg Olson. Um, mm. He missed nine games last year with a broken foot. But he's posted two games over 100 yards since then. So we've seen him produce since coming back from the broken foot. Broken foot isn't a repetitive injury like a soft you know, m- muscle tissue or something like that. Um, he's been tied in three, tied in five, and tied in five the previous three years before last season when you know all the injuries happened. Um, but he was also second, third, and fourth in targets over those years. All the weapons Carolina has added, I don't think he'll get quite as large of the pie of the offense. Um, but he'll still get quite a bit. You know, North Turner has a good tight end with histories. Rudolph, uh, Jordan Cameron is one year in Cleveland. He made him mm-hmm. a great fantasy tight end. And then Antonio Gates the year before that. So I think while Olsen may not be the monster he's been in years past, he'll still be a pretty productive tight end on fantasy. Uh, you know, two years ago, the first year of the fantasy fullback dive, I remember making a bet with the Wolf, maybe a third or halfway through the season, that Greg Olson would outscore Gronk the remainder of the way through the season. And I actually won the bet because Gronk got hurt and missed like 70% of the games. <laughs> but I but I barely won it. I mean, I, I won it by like 15 points or something, and he played like seven games more than Gronk. So anyway, that was a win that I was happy to pocket but did not – 
feel like it necessarily <laughs> made me look super smart at the end of it. Uh, Wolf, who's your number three guy? Where do you, what do you think about Joe going Rudolph Olsen um, and just, you know, thumbing his nose at your Jimmy Grant propaganda? I'm excited to hear why he's so down on Jimmy Graham, uh, but I can't disagree with Kyle Rudolph being right after him, at least. I think everything he said was fantastic. The only concern I have is his path to targets. I know you cited you know, that massive volume with Kirk Cousins targeting his tight ends, but Kirk Cousins had absolute garbage to throw to to wide receiver, other than that one year where he had Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon. But even then, are they that good? The last couple of years, he's had nothing to throw to. So I, I can see why he'd want an athletic freak like Jordan Reed or even Vernon Davis, still a pretty decent athlete, to see a, a heavy share of the targets. Then you got Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen instead. I can't see Rudolph massing that much volume uh, with those two in front of him, but he will be plenty useful. Like you mentioned, John DeFilippo makes a tight end whisperer, comes from the Eagles where they used to pepper him. He's got Kerry Barnage's year is magical. Rudolph definitely comes with you know 10 to 12 ups, touchdown upside for a team that's going to be frequenting the red zone and Cousins who loves to pepper his tight ends in the red zone. I, I agree with all that. I, I think it's great. I just think he has a less chance at as many targets as Jimmy Graham could potentially amass over in Green Bay with an even better quarterback and Aaron Rodgers that's kind of where I made that switch with Jimmy Graham there and Greg Olson comes in next for me right after Rudolph as the fourth on this list for everything you said North Turner a great touch a tight end friendly coach Cam Newton and them obviously have that chemistry but you know DJ Moore's now there Christian McCaffrey is becoming the true workhorse and Joe I will confess uh, this episode, I had a complete 180 con- turnaround and admitted that I was way too low on my cat. Freed me up. But I, I know we did tearjerkers. Yep, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we did tearjerkers well, last week. You called me out. You called me out, and, I, and I'm now agreeing that you were right there and I was wrong. I'm, I'm swallowing the crow. Um, McCaffrey's going to be a monster. But I think because of that, I, I'm down on Olsen. I see him just not seeing as much volume as he's been used to in the past. Even if I have him, again, fourth on this list, I still like his upside with Norv Turner, but he's older. He's coming off that injury. I know it's not repetitive, but he just doesn't feel like he's got the ceiling of the Jimmy Graham or the Kyle Rudolphs or the Evan Ingrams, in my opinion. Uh, all right. Who you got? At, uh, your fourth guy, Joe. And actually, give me your four or five. Four or five goes Delaney Walker and then Jimmy Graham. Um, Why did Walker... we even bring Trey Burton into this group? I have him above Delaney Walker. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I didn't mean to steal your thunder, Joe. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, Delaney Walker currently dealing with the injury, but it doesn't seem to be season or regular season threatening. So just keep an eye on that. Um, I know he's old. He just turned 34 you know, last week, but the team just signed him to a two-year extension. So they definitely still believe in him. Tight in four, tight in five, tight in two the past three years. That's pretty damn good and pretty overlooked, I would say, as well. He only had three touchdowns last year, his fewest since 2012. So that's going to go up because Tennessee only threw 14 total last year, the third fewest in the NFL. Um, One of my concerns, though, that has him so low is uh, new offensive coordinator Matt LeFleur, as I like to pronounce it. (laughs) Nicely done. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, while he's expected to elevate the offense, um, he's been with the Rams and then Atlanta the previous two years. Um, so the past three years, Rams, Atlanta, Atlanta. And they've ranked 27th, 28th, and 27th the past three years, his teams, in targeting the tight ends. So while they've never had a talent like Walker, I'm not sure he's going to be the focal point of the offense. So I have him as like a safe 
He'll probably end up like, I don't know, tied in seven or eight in fantasy leagues, but he's not very exciting. That's why I have him there. And then Jimmy Graham, you're about to hear completely different stats from my mouth than what the Wolves just said. I can't um, wait. I <laughs> Is this Green Bay's historic misusage of the tight end and all the shitty Richard Rogers stats? I know that's coming. Here that's it comes. But they it. haven't had Listen, I'm just going to just throw in the face of that right now that many years ago, probably when you were like in second grade or whatever, Wolf, I, I was very successful drafting, drafting Bubba Franks at uh, Green Bay <laughs> tight end, and he put up pretty what decent a, numbers. So uh, What a throwback. Thank you. I appreciate it. Go ahead, Joe. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, Joe. I thought you were going to say Michael Finley. That's even more of a throwback. Um, Mark but anyway, we got uh, Jimmy Graham, tight end six, tight end four the past two years. Before that, you know, the Achilles injury. But the last two years, he's the seventh and eighth most targeted tight end. Green Bay, and those targets have been 98 targets, I believe, last year, and then 95 the year before. Green Bay, over the past five years, has averaged 53 targets thrown at tight ends. Um, Jimmy Graham was one of the leaders in red zone and end zone targets last year. Well, so is Devontae Adams with the Packers, so they're going to have to split that up. Um, he's 31. He's definitely not the oldest on this list, but it's up there. He, I think he is going to be touchdown dependent. Um, I don't think he's going to be racking up the yards to give you that nice safe floor. So while I think Jimmy Graham ends up a top 10 tight end, I don't think his ceiling or floor is where it, the level of these other guys that are on this list. And you put Trey Burton squarely at the bottom of this pile, right? Burton at the bottom. I mean, he, he's talented. He's pretty athletic, but he's completely unproven. The whole offense is unproven. Plays for the Bears. Uh, yeah, I've gotten a Joku over Burton. So I, I do too, actually. Yeah. So uh, th- that's what I think about Trey Burton. And Wolf, you're gonna you're gonna shock us all by putting Burton above Delaney Walker because you're the one who muscled. Uh, Burton into this tier anyway. So go ahead. Yep. Talk to us about that. I, I will talk to you about that. But one last uh, Jimmy Graham note. Oh, no. Oh, breaking <laughs> protocol here. It just when I look at this depth chart at wide receiver, I mean, it makes sense that the Packers were so reliant on their wide receivers in the past when they've had much more talented guys at that position. It's compared to Richard Rodgers. And, you don't buy into Geronimo Allison? Yeah, exactly. Is that, that what they're going to throw to Toronto Allison? Are they going to throw to, you know, <laughs> yes, they have these rookies making these plays all over the field, but Jimmy Graham is, as long as he's healthy, the cleared second best t- target on that team. Plus, Devontae Adams and his concussion history, we talked about a couple episodes ago. What if he gets hurt and is out? Like, Jimmy Graham's the only one with the true number one build. And Aaron Rodgers talks about how, again, this guy is not just a touchdown guy, how they're using him all over the field. He looks like he's fully healthy and the, the most athletic mismatch they've had there in years if ever so i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the quarterback and what he's saying about his guy all right, that's your time on jimmy graham move on all right. let's talk about delaney walker <laughs> let's talk about trey burton uh, so go ahead the first and joe already made the first point for me is the matt lefleur uh, usage of his tight ends has been so disgusting, and I know he hasn't had a guy like Delaney Walker, but it's not really that relevant of a position. They don't dial up as many screens. They, they use their wide receivers and running backs so well in this offense. There's only so much to go around, and I just don't see Delaney Walker have, having the ceiling of a Trey Burton, who, conversely, in a Matt Nagy offense, 122 targets to Travis Kelsey last year, already the most heavily targeted bear in the early preseason by Mitch Trubisky, getting moved all over the formation like Jimmy Graham, I mean, um, like Travis Kelsey had been. Logs, so far, 48% of his snaps have come out of the slot, just like Kelsey, 50% a couple years ago. I mean, this is just... 
you know, maybe he's not Kelsey because Kelsey's obviously one of the best tight ends in the league, but this guy has all the athleticism of Kelsey. He's got great hands. He just hasn't had that chance to shine. And it seems like that usage is really going to fully come through under Matt Nagy and four for 45 and a TD last weekend and just under a quarter. The guy is going to be used like a monster that he is. And I think that that's kind of my argument of Burton over LaFleur. I mean, over um, Walker comes down to the coaching, the coordinator and the usage that comes with that. Fair enough. All right. Recap, tear jerkers, tight ends after the big three. Wolf, give us your top six in order. So it goes Evan Ingram, Jimmy Graham, which could flip by the end of this preseason. Who knows? That's a clear tier above the next group, which then goes, um, who did I say after that? It's not Greg Olson, Kyle Rudolph, then Greg Olson, then Trey Burton, then Delaney Walker. Joe, your top six. I got uh, Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph, Greg Olson, Delaney Walker, Jimmy Graham, Trey Burton. All right, guys. Tight ends after the top three. Roto Joe, the Wolf, squaring off, not agreeing on everything. No, not per agreeing usual. on everything. <laughs> per usual. That's why it's excellent podcast material. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Thanks for having me. Take we'll it be, easy. Later. We'll be back with the mailback right after this. All right, we are back. We got a mailbag that we have to address before we wrap things up on this podcast. All right, here's the first one. This is about defense, okay? And I think we, you and me are going to have similar answer to this one. Uh, what's your strategy for drafting a defense? I usually end up streaming as others in my league start taking them too early. Any defenses outside the top 10 that have a few easy games to start or any specific teams you think will be good to stream against this season? Last few podcasts have been great, by the way. Keep up the good work, and that's from Bill. Uh, whose name I recognize. He's been, uh, you know, check, checking us out on Facebook for quite a while. So thanks for the question, Bill. Go ahead. And and before I answer this one, I just have a funny little story to share about Bill Jaguar. Is, uh, Mary's, he's married my cousin who printed out a Roto Street Journal cheat sheet, hadn't studied all, all season, just printed out a cheat sheet, um, goes into the draft with 11 other guys, used exclusively our rankings, and ended up taking home the trophy, which is right in their trophy case above the bed that they share. Um, and she will not let him ever touch it. They just moved into a new house and was like, nope, you're not carrying that. You don't get to look at that. Um, just it must be torture. To, so first of all, I've never met either of these people. but it's, I, Holding I, a trophy I, over your head. Yeah, I sound like your cousin sounds like somebody I would like a lot. I just read an uh, article on Yahoo about a woman – that is a diehard fantasy football fan who was in labor and was freaking out. And because she, she had her fantasy draft and she wouldn't put it on auto draft. And I was like, I, love that. I was like, good for her. That's like a, we should do a segment like real fantasy heroes should, or something should, like that. I wonder if like, we could get her on the pod. That would be incredible. I would love to interview her. I mean, yeah, I'd so much. I mean, I would, and you know, it's like, not even, too. not even ironically. I'm just like, good for her. Auto draft sucks. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I respect that so much. Anyway, <laughs> and your cousin um, is maybe cut from the same cloth. Anyway, what do you exactly. think about this defensive question from Bill? Um, and I, he knows the answer already. It's a, I always stream just like you do, Bill. There's no sense in wasting this early pick on the Vikings and they face the, the Packers in the second week. I think it's the third week actually this year. So you might get two weeks out of them, but then are you really going to hold on to the Vikings and pick up another defense just to cut them again when they're facing the Packers a few weeks? It's just, I always stream defenses unless you get the Jags cause they fall, but we're thinking about last year, the Jags were undrafted. So it's tough to, you know, it's nice to have that, that guy that you lock in. You don't have to think about about streaming or waste your waiver budget but ultimately it's an easy exercise you find 
who's facing the Jets this week, who's facing the Bills this week, who's facing the Dolphins, maybe the Cardinals or the Cowboys that they don't protect to be very explosive offenses, either of them, and you roll with it. That's exactly what I do every week, and I always stream. But I think you're very smart because teams drafting right now are often just like, oh, the Chargers defense, they're going to have a good defense this year. They're facing Kansas City in week one, and if they're going to be as good as we think, they're going to. it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be a blowout type of game like that. So I'm looking, you know, potentially not top 10 defenses with good matchups. I made a list for you. Well, the first one I'm going to look at is Baltimore. They're probably going in your top 10, but if they're going towards the end of the draft, that might be a team I reach on in like 13 or 14 after those elite Vikings and Jags and those guys are gone because Baltimore gets Buffalo week one with Josh Allen pick six central starting that game. I mean, that's going to be a great one at home. Plus, they get the Bengals the week after and the Broncos the week after that. Another two easy matchups, in my opinion, against not very explosive offenses. So I like Baltimore a lot after those big early ones are gone. The Saints also get Ryan Fitzpatrick-led Bucks in week one. I mean, that's a joke. You know that's going to be pick city. But if we're going even lower than that, I like the Lions at home versus the Jets week one. I think they have a pretty good defensive front seven, a good cornerback and slay. I can see Sam Darnold getting his, his welcome to the NFL type moments and getting destroyed by the Lions. And then the Titans get the Dolphins. They are away, which I don't love. Panthers get the Cowboys as well, which I would have higher than um, the the Titans. But I, you know, I, I, they get the Cowboys. They don't look so great. It's going to be kind of a grinded out game. So I would say those three teams, the Panthers, the Lions, and the Titans make great streams for week one. All right, I'm going to have you read this next one because I want to make sure that I don't kind of butcher the numbers and stuff in there and get them wrong, like what he means. This is from Twan, mm-hmm. and it's a keeper question. So why don't you read it off? Yeah, and I know this one. This is one of my buddies sent this one in, so I, I actually texted him for clarification too. So he's already keeping Devontae Adams for a 12th round pick, which obviously you're doing. That's an sure. insane value. Um, and he needs to pick two of these other ones. Kareem Hunt, which would be a second round pick, Tyreek Hill for a third round pick, Doug Baldwin for an 11th, or Zach Ertz for a 7th. He needs two from that list. And he also noted he doesn't have a first round pick because he traded away last season so he could get AB for like a playoff stretch run. Sure. Um, which is a great rental. Uh, you know, sacrificing, he won the title, so it made oh, sense. Oh, I was going to say, if he won the title, he he scored. And if he didn't, he's he screwed. But anyway. And then he said, yeah, exactly. Right. You're a genius when it works, bud. Uh, yes, why don't exactly. you say who yours two would be, and then I'll say who my two would be. So for me, the, the first-round pick is pretty significant here because if he doesn't take Kareem here in the second, by the time it gets to him, this three-keeper league, you're not getting a workhorse back. He says he's the last pick because he's he was um, mm. the, the he won the league. So you're not getting a workhorse if you don't keep Kareem. And as much as I don't like, love Kareem, I'm not all in on the guy, you can't see – if you have a shot to have a workhorse back – and you, you otherwise wouldn't, I think you keep that. Even though I love Baldwin and Ertz's value there, I still would much rather have that workhorse back than build, you know, a, a real centerpiece to build around. So then you got a workhorse back and a target hog in Adams. comes down to Baldwin or Ertz for me. As much as I love Tyreek Hill, and I think that value is pretty good in the third, it, that's what you're getting him for anyways. <sighs> Baldwin versus Ertz. The knee report really made this a lot more difficult with Baldwin, but I think the upside for an 11th round pick is what I would side with. Uh, ugh, the floor is a lot higher with Ertz, and you just lock up that edge, and it's a 7th round pick, which is a good value for him. Mm, I'm probably going to go Ertz. And then you got you know a good player at each position. You got Kareem, Adams, and Ertz. You kind of start that draft with a lot of flexibility for the rest of it, I would say. 
Yeah, my picks were going to be Hunt and Ertz, believe it or not, even though nice. uh, you know I'm not a big Ertz guy in general, just kind of on principle at this point. I don't I mean, you know, for a while I had <laughs> I had kind of like the stats on my side even, but once he busted out, it's kind of one of the unlike the thing I praise you for where you'll change your mind, I won't. So, yeah. uh, right. <laughs> That's why you're the one putting the it. No, but I mean, but I get it. 7th round get you know, top 3 tight end, you got to do it. So, I yeah. agree with you. All right, keeper two, question number two. Keeper League, really struggling to decide who to keep. Any input would be much appreciated. All waiver pickups and players drafted round 14 or later are 14th round keepers. Josh Gordon, Chris Carson, Alex Collins, all 14. Chris Hogan, seven. Leonard Fournette, three. Thoughts? Oof. I'm going to cross Carson and Hogan off this list because I'd rather have Gordon if I'm going receiver here than Hogan, especially with the price difference there. Oh, I'd rather have Collins for a 14th than Chris Carson. So now we're looking Gordon, Collins, Fournette. If you're making this decision this week, and I think this guy has to make it by Friday, if Gordon's not on the field yet, you can't pass up the potential to have one of these two horses on your team that are, are locked in. So for me, I'm going to assume that Gordon hasn't gotten on the field and is playing. If he is and he's looking dominant and he's ready to go for week one, then I think that value is is the best pick by far. But ultimately, I'm going to cross him off now too and go Collins versus Fournette. Oh man, that that gets tricky, right? Because now you're debating: do I go with the value here it's and get tricky. Collins? It's I don't think it's that tricky. I'm going Alex Collins, fourteen. The value's there. So this is all right. So this is the argument, and I, I talked to this guy a little bit after he he said it. And he'll have the tenth pick. He expects to get like Melvin Gordon or so, and he thinks it's only a one keeper. So the most of the guys are still going to be out there. And Fournette. So he, obviously the value's there with Collins. But man, if Fournette is as good as I think he's going to be, and you know obviously there's the ankle concerns, there is the injury risk. But I have this guy at tenth overall, so a third rounder. And the tenth overall pick versus Collins, who yeah, I have you know late third and fourteenth. Obviously, you're gaining what eleven rounds of value versus two, but it's that tenth round value of a horse, like the workhorse, so valuable that I think brings so much more to your teams versus a Collins who's going to be a, you know game flow dependent. If they get down, they're going to take him out. He hasn't played any passing down snaps this entire preseason. I mean, I agree. I agree with your logic. I hear what you're saying to me when you bring the risk element into it. And I don't just specifically mean the risk attached to Fournette. I mean, let's just talk about the risk attached to any workhorse running back. Let's Mm -hmm. say to me, you know, you're just playing with total house money with that with Alex Collins. You take him as a four with the 14 Uh, Fournette and the three. Yeah, it's great value. You got him number 10 overall. You're definitely getting a steal if he becomes one of these like top, top guys. Collins, you can take, have a potential workhorse guy that's, you know, what, a top 30 guy or something like that overall. And and you're giving up nothing for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's where I would go. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, right? There's no there's no risk to keeping Collins other than the fact that you pass up on – again, I think Fournette's going to brew a special season. He's ca- he caught two balls in a quarter last time. He's lost that weight. I think he becomes a more complete back. He said his goal is 100 yards rushing every single game. This is an offense that put up the top five points um, last year that I think is going to only get better in year two under Bortles and, and hack it together. I just I would it's it's more so that you're the even though it is house money with the 14th pick, which I agree, I like that philosophy, and that's the, that's what makes it so hard, right? Yeah. But I just love locking in a workhorse for a third downer, which you're not Collins isn't going to be that even in his best case scenario. 
Uh, the, the upside just too high with Fournette. I couldn't put All him right. up there. We got uh, and somebody got, else is getting Fournette too. You know, you got differing opinions on this one. Uh, you know, you can believe who you want to believe, folks. But this, these are the <laughs> types of dilemmas that you know keep us up at night. Uh, Alex Collins, fourteen. That's a really hard three. one. Uh, if you go with Fournette, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, I'm, no. at all. I think it's either a, one's a good. They're great keepers. You're in a good situation. It's a good yeah. problem to be in. Yeah, and I agree when you when you broke it down to Collins and Fournette, assuming Gordon's not out on the field yet. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question. Let's try to do this one quickly. Rookie running back. I, yeah. This is from Zach. I always like getting at least one rookie running back. I don't know who to go with this year. Who are you targeting and when? And this is a tough year because I love talking about running other than backs. Saquon Barkley. Of course, exactly. So Saquon Barkley is obviously, if you want a rookie running back, you got to blow the first rounder to get him, but he's well worth the workhorse. It's going to be a beast because he's such a good talent. It's going to be highly used. But I'm guessing you don't mean him because everybody knows he's going to be a beast. So who are you going otherwise? This is a tough crop. I usually love loading up on rookie running backs. I did last year, and it worked wonders for me with Kareem Hunt. Uh, Dalvin Cook got hurt, but man, he was going to be a true workhorse stud. This year, I don't see any real clear-cut guys like them. They had clear volumes. They're clearly talented. This class, you know, Ronald Jones is behind Barber. You know, on Johnson trapped in a four-headed committee over the lines. If there's a guy, uh, Geis obviously got hurt, who would have been the clear answer to this question. So if uh, Sony Michelle knee surgery, at that point... I like the value, and I know you got Sony late in your draft. Now, I like that he goes in like the eighth or ninth. I think that's a good value on him because by midseason, if he's fully acclimated to the system and he's fully healthy, that's the guy that I think has by far the highest remaining ceiling of the rookie runners. But right now, if I'm drafting today, it'd be Royce Freeman as my second running back. And these rankings are completely overhauled. It's just been Armageddon for rookie running backs. I would say Royce Freeman, he's scored back-to-back weeks for the Bronco, clearly a better than any other option they have. And 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 their line's massive, you know, pretty good improvement with Valdir coming in at right tackle. I just think that he's the the clear number two at this point, with Sony Michelle being the third. Uh, I agree with you, actually, right on down mm-hmm. the board. So here you go. What do you know? After such a disagreement on the last one, the Wolf and I are aligned, and that's going to wrap up the podcast. You got awesome. any uh, social media you want to throw out there before we get out of here? Of course, our homepage, rotostreetjournal.com. We're just pumping out stuff after stuff right now. We're workhorses till the uh, till your drafts to make sure you're ready. Um, we got the stock watch, rotostreetjournal.com slash stock watch with all the breaking news. If you want the podcast episodes, ffbdpod.com. And you can get the show notes for any episode by having that number. So this show notes will be ffbdpod.com slash 30. Check out all those beat writer interviews, all that good stuff. And on the social medias, Roto Street Journal on Facebook and Twitter. We have those daily draft wizards going. So check us out on Facebook to get your mock draft done for you live. You can give me feedback on it. We can talk about it while I draft. It's a fantastic tool for you. And then me personally, Roto Street Wolf on Twitter and Snapchat. Hit me up with all your questions. My name's Nad the Truth Jones. And I'm the Wolf. See you guys. Later. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Second down, third effort, touchdown! Oh.
old-fashioned football right there, folks.